say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Welcome into B2B Growth. I'm your host, Benji Block. Today, we're excited to be joined by Eva Sassone. She is the head of marketing at Argyle. Eva, welcome into B2B Growth. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So let's give some context, just a quick, maybe 30 second sort of Twitter length bio, Eva, to what your life looks like now and a little bit of your history, maybe. Yeah. So I'm the head of marketing at Argyle. Argyle is an API for connectivity of employment records. So we, in short, connect employment records with the businesses that need to access them, financial institutions, with the consent of individuals who owns that data. My background is actually in APIs and developer tools. Previous to Argyle, I ran marketing for a identity verification API, was at Twilio, which was the first API to ever go public, and at Century, which is open source developer platform. So I'm I'm deep in the developer land. (laughs) Yes, yes. And you're going to have really interesting perspective to bring from that land, which we're grateful to get to tap into today. So here's where I want to take us is... Attention that many feel as a business grows is there's like this constant sort of consideration and tension between building and what we could buy, right? Like what's out there already. When we were offline, we were having this interesting conversation, really a case study that you were a part of in your time at Century. And I wonder if we would just start there and sort of have you walk us through some of your findings and uh, some of that, where that conversation originated in, in that case study. Century is a very interesting business because it's a it's sort of grassroots in its founding. So it started as a pure open source tool. It, um, it was just open source code sitting on GitHub that the two founders were maintaining while working at other jobs. And um, the platform started growing in their number of contributors. People started using Century's code for error monitoring and debugging sort of across different personal projects, like hackers that are building something for themselves. And that ended up becoming so popular that the founders turned it into a business. So that sort of Century's legacy is that it started as this grassroots initiative among developers turned into a business, both enterprise and self-serve business, Mm -hmm. which is an awesome, as a marketer, is an awesome thing to come into because you already have some brand recognition, you already have traction in the market, and it's about how do you monetize that Um, But an interesting drawback that we found is that we needed to equip our sales team to compete paid century versus open source century. And that was something that came up in a lot of, yeah, it came up in a lot of conversations of like, well, why should I pay for this when there is an actively maintained open source library that I can utilize for free? Um, Why should I be paying you for this? And it actually became such a big thing that 
our biggest competitor was ourselves. <laughs> so like we lost more deals in the sales pipeline to open source Century than to anyone else in the market. Hmm. So how are you thinking about that internally as you guys are watching that happen? Yeah. At first it was like, oh, this is weird. This, you know, this person wants to go open source. Like they've been in our, they've learned so much like about the tool in our, in our sales conversation and demos and like now they're just going open source. Um, and we just started seeing it happen more and more and realized, okay, this is just a trend. This isn't a one-off. And people aren't understanding the value of buying an out-of-the-box solution. And so um, that was a cool project I got to work on of building sales enablement around why you would want to build versus why you would want to buy. And what are the benefits of buying? What are the costs of building? It's not free. It's a different way of thinking about cost. Right. So yeah, these questions emerge. True value of buy, true cost of build great questions to be asking from several different vantage points. Talk me through what those questions meant uh, to you in that, in that season and, and for, for Century as a company. So at first, when people would be considering open source, they would think, oh, this is free. Like if I could save $70,000 a year and still get the same benefit, then like, why would I not do that? And right. Um, basically how we broke it down in terms of a competitive analysis, if you will, of how are you benchmarking these two against each other is that there's lots of hidden costs. The biggest hidden cost really is time. If you're a fast scaling business and you need to build something yourself, that is a lot of time that you need to take into building that. And there's a cost of someone's time. There's also an opportunity cost of their time not doing something else. Mm -hmm. And we demonstrated that in an infographic of number of cups of coffee. Like how many cups of coffee does this equate to of like how much energy and effort are you really going to be putting into this on the technical side? There's also cost to maintain. So yeah. when you buy something out of the box, like if there's an issue, we fix it. We're constantly optimizing it. There's updates that you could just download and right. We're constantly trying to make the platform better. So it's being actively maintained. Updates are being made. If you're open source, you have to, it's possible to make those same updates because right, everything's open source, but you have to right. do that yourself. And so that's even more cups of coffee because you're not just building it once. You have to continue to monitor it. You have to continue to maintain it. There are storage costs associated with it. If you're buying a cloud solution, then the product is paying for the cloud storage in most cases. Um, so there is, there is a lot of hidden costs in there. Yeah, I love this because it's so true in technical world, right? With the cost to maintain, the, the hidden cost of time. But it's also true in, in business at large where you're having to analyze what's going to be like the most efficient use of our time. And even though we can maybe cut costs in the immediate, what does that look like for us as we scale and continue to grow. I wonder now that it's been some time that's passed since that season and since that kind of case study, what you took away and like learned from that, that you maybe even still think about and apply where you currently are. Very good question. So one of the big takeaways of this case study was that it really comes down to scale. Mm -hmm. If you're a very fast scaling business, build is very expensive for you. 
because you have to be constantly on it to iterate and constantly reestablishing the software for scale. And if you're if you're a small team, like build might be the better thing for you. If, if you're not really growing that fast, if you can maintain it, if if you're a small team in the sense that you have resources and not a lot of change, right. um, that has influenced my approach to other decisions I've had to make. If you have a super intense sprint that you're working on that you need a ton of resources immediately with people or or a tool that can just hit the ground running immediately, that might be a situation where it might be better for you to buy. Um, If you have the resources and the time to invest in bringing something in-house that's like tends to be more sustainable in the long run, depending on what it is that you're working on. But that would be a situation where it would be better to, um, to build it yourself. Hey everybody, Benji here. As a member of the Sweetfish team, I wanted to take a second and share something that makes us insanely more efficient. Our team uses Lead IQ. For those that are in sales or you're in sales ops, let me give you context. What once took us four hours to gather contact data now just takes one. That's 75% more efficient. We are so much quicker with outbound prospecting and organizing our campaigns is so much easier than before. I highly suggest that you check out Lead IQ as well. You can find them at leadiq.com. That's L-E-A-D-I-Q.com. All right, let's jump back into the show. What would be other sort of common pitfalls you think when people decide we want to build this like internally instead of Mm -hmm. outsourced to maybe the pro or the vendor? Yeah, for a for a developer tool, it also really comes down to resources. Right. So you might, depending on how fast you're scaling, if you're trying to scale Sentry, you might even need a full time person to just be maintaining that. Sentry is a solution that detects errors and bugs and gives you information about errors and bugs. If you're building Sentry yourself and there's a bug in your Sentry, <laughs> in your yeah. Sentry instance, then that is not a place that as a developer you really want to be. Like fixing a bug in the thing that's supposed to help you fix your bugs. It like yes. gets very meta and then your whole <laughs> infrastructure um, can weaken. So that is something to kind of, you know, from, a, from the developer lens, it's like how much time are you really willing to put into maintaining this thing yourself. Like, what are you trying to do? What's the benefit that it offers you? And what's worth it for you? From a team perspective, because there's the external and the internal, I know internally you've been in companies that literally had almost nobody on the team, right? And you were responsible for growing that team. So when you were thinking of cost to build, this team, right? Like, are we going to hire someone full-time for this versus allocate funds externally and have someone more as like a Lancer or part-time? You've had to think through this. What has that decision-making process looked like for, for you? Absolutely. I've been in this situation several times of being the first marketer to come on and needing to build the department from ground up. And mm-hmm. what I've experienced is that when you're in the very early stages of getting the groundwork set up, going the buy route is so helpful. Long-term, you want to build, right? You want to want to build a team. You want to build a foundation of a department. But that building takes time and it's more expensive 
to get it wrong and then fix, <laughs> then, then to be very mindful about doing it right and getting a solid foundation set up. And so to lean on experts in the beginning, if you, if you know what you need to lean on experts and to start getting things moving while you're onboarding yourself is a really great way of uh, creating leverage. Mm -hmm. Um, I think build and leverage are really closely tied to each other. Yeah. There's a close correlation between leverage and buy. When you buy, you're basically buying yourself a bunch of leverage. So if you're very resource strapped, then the buy route is a savior because all of a sudden you have experts and tooling that is expert that can help you do so much more. It's like giving you superpowers so much more than what you could do just as a solo person by yourself while you're continuing to sort of slowly build. Right. And it provides structure too, right? So it's like leverage in a certain sort of structure that you might not have immediately otherwise. Exactly. Hmm. What? So when you've been in a situation like that, what did you prioritize in sort of hiring first as you moved out of a a stage where it was like, okay, we, we bought, we got ourselves some leverage and now we're trying to scale and actually grow the team. What did you move to? What did you prioritize first? I prioritized hiring in the areas where I felt I had the biggest gaps or the like kind of weakest skills. Um, so I hired to supplement for myself basically. Um, Mm -hmm. and that was what allowed a team that's super dynamic to come together because people's skills were very complementary and everyone was bringing something new to the table. And I just, um, not to take the conversation in too much of a different direction, but that's the benefit of diversity in hiring and building a really diverse team is that you're getting a bunch of different perspectives. And I think a common mistake is hiring a, another you because that's what feels really comfortable. It's like, oh, this person is just like me. And if you yeah. like yourself, then you're going <laughs> to like them. But then you end up getting like a group think or getting just like people agreeing with each other and too quickly and people coming with the same skills. And what you really want is like a diverse array of skills and experiences to create a very dynamic team. Okay. Let's talk about how let's get to just some really practical, how would we do this whole buy versus build thing? Maybe even Eva, like what are, are some questions we should be asking when we're considering going down this road. Uh, let's go internal first. So not staying as far as like, as our team is growing or we're allocating resources. Let's start, let's start there. How would we start to really implement this and what are questions we should maybe be asking ourselves? I would think about what is my immediate need? What is my long-term need? What is my bandwidth? What is my available budget? And what is that available budget on a short term and a long term? Mm-hmm. What is my expected return from this tool or agency that I'm looking at from a short term and long term? And what is my dependency on it? Mm-hmm. So is this something where I'm going to onboard this and I won't be able to ever move off of it? If that's the case, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't do it. It just means you should put a little bit more thought 
into yeah. making a commitment <laughs> um, than you would if it's like, this is a um, contemporary stopgap while things keep moving. Mm-hmm. And um, kind of where is this creating leverage? How is this creating value for the business outside of just for the team? And are there any other benefits that it would bring to unlock for other teams? Does this set us up for growth in a better way? Does it establish our foundation in a stronger way? Those are some great questions. I You can almost take that and then just go, those are all like just flip it and go like, that's how people are analyzing the company you're in right now from a marketing perspective. Those are the questions they're asking, right? We just put yourself in their shoes. But talk to me a little bit about how you think about it externally, like how we should be presenting our resource, right? To those that are considering either building internally or buying our tool. Yeah. Honestly, the more you can lead with the value, the better. Mm -hmm. And this is why for... B2B marketing and B2B selling my push. And this is something from Twilio and Century and everywhere that I've been is really to lean on customer case studies and testimonials because that's where you're able to unlock what was actually the value that you brought to someone. It's, It's sort of empty words to be like, save time by X number of hours, save productivity, like increased productivity, right? right? There's all of these value props of how you can make someone's world better that you can put forward that are very compelling, but unless they're backed up by real information or by a a real case study, then they're sort of empty words. And so the more you can lean on um, real businesses that have had real impact based on your technology, then it's a much more compelling narrative in demonstrating to someone why they should be using you. Yep. That is a a really good way to kind of start to wrap up here. I I took a bunch of notes. I think there's a lot to be kind of considering in this space when we consider buy versus build. Honestly, the two questions, true value of buy, true cost of build is a great way to put it, is great things to to kind of leave this episode with and consider. And to remember that when you're buying, you're buying leverage. That's honestly a key concept that I'll be... I like how succinct you put it, is what I'll say. It was a good way of, of giving us something to consider there. So Eva, if people want to connect with you further and stay connected to the work you're doing right now, what are the best ways to do that? Tell us a little bit about your company and the, the things you're working on. Find me on LinkedIn. Find me on Twitter. I'm not super active on Twitter, admittedly, since I um, do also manage the Twitter for the companies that I work for. I have a hard mm-hmm. time also focusing on my own, but I am responsive both on LinkedIn and Twitter. It's just my name. Argyle is unlocking employment records for every American to help people better verify their income and employment to get access to the financial services that they need by transmitting information via an API. Great. We will link to Argyle and and your LinkedIn in the show notes. So if people want to connect further and and check it out, they can do that. Perfect. Thank you for spending time on B2B growth. Uh, For listeners who want to connect with me, they can do that on LinkedIn as well. And uh, you can subscribe to the show if you haven't yet. B2B growth is always releasing content that's 
helpful for marketers, those in sales, and uh, we want to help continue uh, your business's growth. So thanks for tuning into this episode. And uh, we will be back very soon with more content just like this. It's helpful for you. Thank you, Benji. At Sweetfish, we're on a mission to create the most helpful content on the internet for every job function and industry on the planet. For the B2B marketing industry, this show is how we're executing on that mission. If you know a marketing leader that would be an awesome guest for this podcast, shoot me a text message. Don't call me because I don't answer unknown numbers, but text me at 407-490-3328. Just shoot me their name, maybe a link to their LinkedIn profile, and I'd love to check them out to see if we can get them on the show. Thanks a lot. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.